So I want to begin today with the question, um, how well do you filter your speech? How well do you filter your speech? Think of the gamut of life situations. Uh, perhaps you're feeling uh, a little overconfident at times because you're just doing well in life, and, and even in those comfortable, confident times, your uh, tongue can become a little loose. Or go to the other extreme, heated situations. The, the stress is up to your brain, your heart is pumping, your heart rate is up, and you're just beginning to stew inside, uh, and, and you want to just explode and, and just throw whatever verbal atomic bomb and missiles and so forth at the person standing in front of you. How well do you filter your speech in those moments? Um, another way to think of it is, are you more reactive in situations? And again, this, there's a whole gamut of being reactive. Perhaps some of us, uh, we are very witty and we're very quick with our words and we can uh, elicit a lot of laughter very quickly, but sometimes that can cross over into unhealthy sarcasm extreme sarcasm, uh, and again, just to repeat the scenario where it's stressful. Are you more reactive with your words in those situations? Or, I want to dedicate this word responsive to the contrast um, to be uh, the, the more mature way to use our words to filter our speech. Um, you, you think through, even if it's intentionally to appear a little bit awkward in the moment because you're silent, because inside, you're counting to 10, or to calm down, or you're praying, Lord, give me wisdom. What do I need to say? What is the right response in this situation? Are you more intentionally responsive? Now, last week we saw, or I used the analogy of a tree, a healthy tree or a flower, and basically three parts to this tree. That first there's the roots, and it begins, every tree or flower begins as a little seed, and it it's, it's planted and it's nourished and then it begins to root itself and it grows up, it breaks through the ground and a stem or a trunk grows and if all goes well, if all the right nourishment is there, then it bears fruit or it bears a beautiful blossom and we want to see that fruit come over and over again in season and those blossoms to bloom uh, to, to just be a fragrance and to bless others. And I use this as analogy uh, for a saving faith. And James, last week we saw, he was really getting at, we were asking the question, how do I know I have a saving faith? And basically, first, it is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, by the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. And so the roots, it's, it, it's the roots. But if the roots are nourished, if the roots are growing as they should, then saving faith will produce good works. You're not saved by your good works. You can't just present to God a package of apples or tomatoes. You, you have to bring the whole tree. When we stand before God, our lives have to be the whole tree, so to speak. Today, then, James is getting much more specific, and he's running through some very specific good works that the Christ follower should produce in their lives. And our faith, as we're motivated by grace as we're motivated ultimately by God's word to us, God's response to us. Look, if God just was reactive, he would have just wiped out the whole universe and maybe not even created the universe again. He would have sent Adam and Eve to hell right away after they sinned. But no, he didn't just react. He had a response. And in fact, he has put into motion 
uh, as far as roughly, say that at least since Adam and Eve, as far as the, the smart people can uh, calculate approximately 10,000 years that God has been putting this wonderful response, a redemptive plan of saving us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's been patient and responding intentionally. And so we are saved even by God's word, God's speech. He doesn't just react, but he gives us his response, which is his gospel through his son, who's the word. And what James is getting at very specifically today is that our speech, our words, how well we filter our speech in those moments is also meant to be a fruit, a good work that comes up from our faith as we respond to God's good word to us, as we respond to his word of love and patience and acceptance to us, that that percolates up and produces gracious speech. So I invite you with me to identify this prayer, and really I want to offer this as a summary of James's uh, portion of letter today, uh, the passage that we're focusing on. If we can pray this, it will do our souls well. It'll do our faith well. Lord, Help me to discern before I speak. Help me to filter my speech. Help me to be more responsive, not reactive. Help me, Lord. Help me. And I think James wants us to think about uh, two things. First, why we need to filter our speech, and then ultimately how. How we are capable of filtering our speech. How we'll find the ability to filter our speech. So first, why? Why do we need to filter our speech? I want to pick up from last week's uh, last verse, chapter 2, verse 26. I didn't, wasn't able to address it fully or properly, so, but it, it ties right into today's pas- passage. And the first reason why we want to filter our speech is because bearing good works, doing right, doing good, it invigorates our faith. It encourages our faith. I don't know anyone who feels bad after they do something right, after they do something good, after they make the hard right choice. I don't know anyone who deep down inside feels bad. Here, uh, James gives the analogy in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, right? You don't want to just be a corpse. You want to have an animating soul in you and life coursing through your body. So also faith apart from works is dead. James is comparing faith to a lifeless body. And the way that faith comes alive, it feels alive, is when there are good works. Good works is like the spirit, James is saying. Good works gives you life. One of my team members uh, on the Malawi mission trip, we were just having a moment of connecting, and and he was sharing that he he hasn't felt more close to God than on this trip in a long time in his life. And it makes complete sense. It's, it's what James is saying. Because he, is, he, he took a step of obedience to travel far, to leave his family. He is working to uh, eradicate poverty. He is loving people that aren't even his own flesh and blood. He is compassionate by being motivated by God's love for him. That good work was invigorating his faith. And he drew closer to Christ. That's what James is talking about here. And so in your life, even if it is, of course we want to always monitor our motive, but it's a good thing to just obey, to do what's right, and to trust as you seek to do that, 
in God's name, by grace, by being motivated, that as the motivation continues to mature, that those good works eventually, perhaps right now in your life, you're not feeling faith. You're not feeling close to God. But as you walk into doing what God calls us to do, the good works he calls us to, to just trust that, it'll, that faith will follow in a sense, that, that God will, will, will use that obedience to also encourage your faith. Well, James gives us another reason why we need to filter our speech. Uh, and let me backtrack a little bit. And therefore, specifically, seek to respond in a Christ-like manner. Seek to wrestle with your own, especially some of us here, if God's giving you the gift of gab. God has given you a wit. And all the more, if, if that's just naturally, that's not in and of itself a bad thing. But some of us are expert zinger throwers. Some of us are expert just verbal uh, combatants. And in those moments, just to slow down, to pray, Lord, help me to filter my speech. And based on God's word, I want to give you confidence that as you wrestle and do the hard work to think through what you're going to say and not regret what you're going to say prayerfully in those moments, that it'll come back to encourage your faith, that you won't regret you won't regret going through the pain of trying to discern your words and to be slower to speak. Well, another reason then is because our words will be judged. And so picking up in chapter 3, verse 1, James begins with this case study, this example to prove a point. His point isn't to address teachers specifically and to, to go off on a, on a lesson about calling as preachers and teachers, but he's using this to create a contrast and to make a point. And he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, and brothers meaning the whole church, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so I want you to notice there that he says with greater strictness, greater, okay? What he is implying is that everyone will be judged for their speech. When we all stand before God, and he takes moral inventory of our lives, and before he, I think even Christians will pass through that judgment, but our hope, our comfort, is that God will see Christ upon us, Christ's righteousness imputed on us, covering us, and welcoming us home. But nevertheless, all of us will be judged. James is saying even he, as one penning this letter, will be judged with greater strictness, but meaning all of us, our words will be judged. <clears throat> Even our Lord himself, he says in Matthew 12, and I figure James maybe even got the whole analogy of, of a fruit tree and good works and faith as a tree because right before this, Jesus says that we need to be like trees, good trees that bear good fruit, not bad trees that bear bad fruit. And then he goes on to say, on the tales of that, I tell you, this is Jesus himself, on the day of judgment, people will give account. For every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. James sounds a lot like Jesus. When James says you'll be justified by your works. Meaning salvation, a saving faith is the whole tree. There need to be good works. Good works produced from that faith. Jesus is saying something no different. He's not saying that you will be saved by your good speech alone or you'll be condemned by your, your careless speech alone. 
But he's saying that if you follow me, if you've placed your faith in me, then there will be that whole healthy tree, and one of the fruits of that tree of faith in Christ will be careful speech. Another reason that James uh, wants us to filter our speech because our words shape the course of our lives. Our words shape the course of our lives. James goes on to say, for we all stumble in many ways. Again, I, I appreciate that James, he's including himself in there. James is not pretending that he is perfect, even though he's writing in a very tough manner, a very, raising a very high standard. He's just setting the, setting the standard for us, but he knows he falls from that standard as well. For we all stumble in many ways. But now he says something audacious. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. What James is asserting is that if you, if there's any of us here that can perfectly filter our speech in every situation, that there has not gone a day in your life where you have said something careless, then you can actually be perfect before God. He goes on to explain, he gives an analogy. He says, able also to bridle his whole body. And he gives us two analogies. I'm realizing more and more that James loves his analogies. Um, but first he says, it's like a horse bit. If you're unfamiliar with a horse bit, it's that little metal bar that's stuck in their mouth, and attached to it are the reins, and the rider can control where the horse is going by tugging and pulling on the reins which connect to the bit and turn the horse's head to the direction that they want to go. James's point is that this little thing, this little contraption, changes the course of the whole horse, the whole journey. And he gives another analogy on a ship, a massive ship, even Titanic, was steered by a small little rudder. rudder. In proportion to the rest of the mass, it, it's almost nothing, but it has the power to shape the entire course of the journey. And what James is saying is that our tongues are just like that. That our tongues have the power to shape the course of our lives. Here's what I think he means. First, before words come out, they start as feelings or thoughts inside. I, I, I appreciate this analogy that I heard from another preacher. Um, before we go out for the day, right, where we don't have our clothes on, and then we don't go out like that, obviously. So thoughts are kind of, you know, naked thoughts are, are, are kind of like being undressed before we go out for the day. But then we go out and we dress ourselves and we present ourselves in a more socially appropriate manner, right? And similarly, our words, they begin as feelings and thoughts. They're, they're naked, but then filtered speech. A Christ-like response is dressing those thoughts and feelings properly. And so first, a thought lends to a word. And then a word, it, it lends eventually to an action. If you say that, okay, I'm going to accomplish this goal today, and, and you write it down, or you say it to yourself, or you say that you, you promise another person that you'll get this thing done, that has power to make you feel the need to get this done. And so a word lends to an action. Or negatively, if you speak 
a, a depressing word to yourself, if you speak a discouraging word, a self-defeating word, then that can lend to a harmful action to yourself as well. And an action lends to a habit because the more words you say, and if they are, those words are headed in, in a general direction and then you have actions in that general direction, then as you continue to act in that general direction, it becomes a habit. And as you form that habit, that lends to a certain character. And what James is saying here is that our tongue has the power to shape the course of our entire lives because eventually our character, meaning, let me be very concrete, ultimately what the gospel is saying, the most important act of a character, the most important decision of everyone's character is their disposition towards God, is their response to God. And if you have a character that is utterly self-sufficient, utterly self-indulgent, utterly rejecting of God, then that will shape the course of your eternity. And that's why a character eventually lends to an eternal destiny. An eternity, James wants us to remember, begins with the judgment of God. Now, one reason why James is being tough, he writes in this very terse and very in-your-face manner, is because he knows that we need to be honest with ourselves. He knows, and some of us will only become honest with ourselves when there's enough pain or there's enough someone perhaps barking or, or just someone coming down on us very loudly and clearly. And James does not want any of us, he doesn't want to be guilty. He wants to have a clear conscience that he's laid it out to everyone, that this life isn't it. This life is not all there is. There really is an eternity after this life and it will begin by all of us dying once and then facing the judgment of God. And so that's why James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire, right? I mean, he's speaking kind of poetically and in analogies, and so there's a little bit of room for interpretation, but just think, Think back, I'm sure all of us, there have been those moments where uh, you, you regret just saying that one thing. And perhaps it was even an innocent joke, and then all of a sudden, it, it just caused World War III to happen. I mean, just something that came to mind as I was preparing, and, and I, I'm, I'm okay with self-deprecation. Uh, and I remember one time at a wedding uh, reception and uh, seated with my wife Linda and a few other couples that I didn't really know. Uh, and they all got talking, usually some at some point it comes up in a wedding, happy wife, happy life, and everyone's laughing, and, and the guys are, yeah, happy wife, happy life, and I don't know, I don't, maybe I had a few too many cocktails already, I don't know, but I said, well, what about happy man, that's the plan, right? And I started laughing, and, but everyone else is just silent, <laughs> and, and Linda is all just looking at me, and the guys are like just turning away and just, I, they didn't say it, but basically saying, you're on your own there, buddy, <laughs> right? You're on your own there. But, you know, I was trying to dig myself out of a hole. It was just a joke, but I, I, I heard a little bit from Linda that night. It's like, you embarrass me. Why are you saying that? Why are you joking like that? And what I thought was just an innocent little joke, and it started creating a fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And, 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 and again, James, we got to appreciate just his black and whiteness. We got to appreciate him being in our faces. And, 
And so he get, he's saying, look, what I'm trying to say, he says it at the end, the tongue is a set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He's saying, you got to watch your words. Because our words, our speech, is a required good fruit from faith in Christ. And if not, then perhaps even our words can set the whole course of our life and we'll find ourselves, because of our words, leading to a, a, an action, an action to a habit, a habit to a character, and a character to a final disposition towards God. We'll find ourselves in the judgment fires of hell. So our words matter. Another reason why we need to filter our speech then, and it's just a natural uh, next logical thought to James's thought flow, because our tongues serve as indestructible evidence against us. He says in verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. He's being literal here. But no human being can tame the tongue. James is saying, look, on one hand, I'm trying to make you feel a little bit of healthy guilt, healthy conscience to start thinking intentionally through your words and to, to set as a prayer, as a life goal, Lord, please help me to discern my speech. James is saying that on one hand, but he's also saying, but look, don't be misled. Don't, don't kid yourself. None of you will get your tongue perfect. You're, you're going to miss the mark. You're going to have sin in your life because of your speech. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. And so what James is saying is, he's trying to, again, get us to be honest and to make us feel this tension that, then who's going to help me? How can I be saved? I love this uh, metaphor. Um, and... Uh, uh, one commentator, he was saying, just imagine, just imagine, uh, he wrote this in the 70s, so he said a tape recorder, <laughs> but so imagine an MP3 recorder, contextualizing for 2019, uh, imagine an MP3 recorder, and it's your necklace, right? And, and it, it's, it's your necklace through your whole life, from since you were a baby to the day you die, and it records everything you say. And, and especially, it has this ability to filter at the end uh, and to produce and play back all your careless words. Your careless words. See, that, that necklace, that MP3, God has this ability to just take account of all our careless words from beginning to end. And what James is saying is that our tongues, no one can perfect it, and it's going to stand in judgment against us. Even your standards that you expected of other people, then that standard will be held against you. There'll be evidence that you said, well, you should be more honest, you should be more patient, etc. And that standard will be held against you as well because you created that standard for yourself, and it's there. Your words will be there as evidence. 
But James now gets very down to earth and every day, and he says we should filter our speech because our speech affects our relationships. It says in verse 9 here, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we also curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And in that one sentence, James is trying to point out our stark hypocrisy. How can you praise God? He's pointing out hypocrisy on many levels. How can you come to church and sing these songs and praise God, but then go home? And it's not even so much the act of cursing, but it's the fact that you say you know God because you're praising Him and you're worshiping Him, but you're forgetting that the person that you're spewing out careless words to has been created by God and the very image of God, the likeness of God is in that person. And in a sense, you are also shouting careless words at God. You are spitting in His face as well. Just as you might, just how, how horrible it would be, how much of a, of a show of uh, just uh, audacious arrogance it would be to go to a painter a painting, let's say, at the, the, the Mona Lisa, and uh, the artist, I forget now who it was, but maybe Da Vinci, and Da Vinci's standing right there. You look at him, this is a great painting. You're such a great artist. And then you turn and you spit at that painting immediately. It just makes no sense, right? That's what James is saying here. It makes no sense that we can bless God our Father but then we use our words carelessly and even cursing, cursing people who are made in his likeness. Now, I hope you know, I hope you know that words, they are both, they have the power of life and death. They, they can give life to relationships, but they can also kill relationships. You can bring life and speak life into another soul, or you can crush that spirit with one word, with one word. And so James wants us to filter our speech because he's saying it affects our relationships. First, he's saying, don't kid yourself. You can't be a hypocrite. You think you're blessing God, but if you continue to use your words carelessly to the people in your life, that's also going to put a wedge between you and God. In fact, it's, it's a scary wedge because you'll be in your own self-deceit that everything's okay with God. But James wants us to know, no, our speech is meant to be a good work, a good fruit of our faith in Christ as well. I hope we're able to identify for ourselves when our words are are misguided, but to throw out things that Scripture identifies, slander, gossip, um, could throw in there just, I mean, when Scripture says malice, that could also mean for us very pointed, intentional, knife-piercing and twisting sarcasm, could be deceit and lying to someone in your life. Sometimes it's silence. Silence could be that relationship killer. And, and perhaps what 
you, the way you need to obey is to initiate that talk, to begin to express yourself in a way that the other person needs. So, how? How do we get better at filtering our speech? How do we get better at filtering our speech? Simply put, the way as Christ followers, we will uniquely grow in the good work of gracious speech that comes from faith in Christ is that we stay rooted by faith in God's word. I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. The whole notion of speaking good words for us as Christ followers and people who hold the gospel central to our lives, it has to begin with remembering that God has graciously spoken the most beautiful word to us. We learn our speech from one another. Kids learn their speech from their parents, for better and worse, right? When I look at my kids and the way they interact with people, they encourage like Linda and I do. But I've also seen my kids use words, use careless words, and they're just carbon copies. They're just playing back the tape Especially for me, I, I really need to intentionally, when school kicks up during rush hour uh, and just as I drive, that's when my words are most careless. But the words that I use there, I see it come up in my kid's speech, and I know it's from that 10-minute drive to school. And so point being, if, if we're hearing God's word more than any other word, if we're basking and glorying and adoring and praising God for it and finding our life and encouragement and, and correction and forgiveness and patience of God's word to us, his speech to us, his response to us through the gospel and, and staying, getting on a reading plan through scripture. In, in the 21st century, there's no excuse with all the resources online, our smartphones and apps and, and heck, if you don't know, the elder's policy here is that the pews in the Bible, if you really want that Bible, you can take it as a gift from the church, right? That's our gift to you if you really, if you're, if you're desperate for a Bible. And so James is saying it. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so he goes on giving this analogy, or several analogies, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? That's impossible. And here's where I feel confident of the whole tree analogy because James uses it himself. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Can an apple tree produce oranges? No. Or grapevine produce figs? No. A grapevine will produce grapes. And his point is this, that the more and more we're rooted by faith in God, in his word, in Christ, the person Christ, his love for us, his promises, his instructions, his imperatives, the more and more we look to God's word as a mirror to see ourselves, the more we nourish our faith, the more we are resting in his grace, then that percolates up and it'll produce gracious speech. It'll produce more patience. It'll produce more being slowed to anger quick to listen, quick to understand, to try to empathize, to try to even just almost at times, if this is what it requires, to mechanically, not to emotionally react to that person, but, but in a tempered, 
thoughtful manner to think through, to try to repeat back to them what they're thinking and feeling. And so again, just as a reminder, the gospel calls us to a saving faith, but a saving faith, yes, it's by faith alone, but that faith, if it's nourished and it's healthy and it's growing, it will produce good works. And so in that sense, we're justified by our works because those good works demonstrate the genuineness of those roots. But now today specifically what James is saying is your speech, and not only James, I think he took his cue from his half-brother Jesus, his Lord now, and our Lord, and Jesus himself saying, watch your words. Every careless word will be brought to judgment. And so our speech is meant to be one of those good fruits. Now let me leave you with the most beautiful word that you could ever possibly speak in this life. It comes from Romans 10, 9, from Paul. Because if you confess with your mouth, if you speak, if you have the speech that Jesus is Lord, and even Paul here, he's, he's following the whole flow of the tree, The fruit is this confession, this good word, this good work of faith, of confessing faith in Jesus, but believe in your heart, right? Where is that word coming from? It's coming from a faith rooted in the gospel that God has raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. So let's pray together in our lives more and more. Lord, help me to discern before I speak. Amen.